So we talk about this all the time. Today, let's dig a little deeper around this notion of culture and leadership and human beings and relationships. You're going to love today's podcast. Just sit back and hold on. It's a good ride. Hey, everybody. Todd Conklin, the Pre-Accident Podcast. Thanks for being here. I'm so excited. It's fun to get together again today. Man, um, it's just, I can't believe this year's screaming to a close. I don't know what happened. It's You turn around and you're like, what? The, the year's over? What? Hello? What happened in February? We're, it's crazy. But I guess it's good. I mean, it's, it means we're still living and breathing and doing work. And, and uh, I don't know about you, but it seems like what we're doing is making a difference. It's really starting to have an impact. And you kind of feel that in today's podcast. I, you're going to really like today. So today, we talked to my friend Rosa Antonia Carrillo. Um, and if you don't know Rosa Carrillo, you should. She's, uh, she's out there in the world doing really interesting stuff. She has a new book out, um, which is great, actually. It's on Rutledge, so, you know, it's the, it's the normal guys. And the book is called The Relationship Factor in Safety Leadership. Achieving Success Through Employee Engagement. And it's gotten bukus of compliments from all the bigs. Um, the one that's got me going, Decker, like, everyone, it's a good book. You'll like it a lot. I, like, I think it's, it's, it's definitely a good book. But Edgar Schein likes it. And, uh, you know, that's pretty much the cutoff point for me. If he likes it, I'm in, right? But I got a chance to sit down with Rosa and talk to her. Really, it, it, I, I, I definitely talked to her about the book. I mean, that was the guise of, of sitting down and talking. But mostly what we talked about is, is Rosa's journey and where she started. And from humble beginnings comes this person who's really focused at this stage in her career on the power of engagement and building relationships, which I'm relatively certain there's nothing wrong with and only good things to do. So we sit down in a in kind of a loud conference room. So you're going to hear a little background noise. Um, I'll see if I can take some out with my amazing ability to take out noise. We'll see if it works. I'll try my hardest. That's that's all I can do is try my hardest. But listen to what Rose has to say because the the conversation around relationship building and leadership, I think we're at an apex of where we're just seeing how we build these workplace relationships becoming more and more and more important. Now, that probably is the dumbest thing ever said out loud because if you've had a job, and most of us have, you know how valuable relationships are and you know how important they are and how powerful they are in setting the tone, timber, and really creating that culture. Um, relationships help us drive behavior because we do. the two most powerful forces in the world are peer pressure or, or concertive pressure, uh, uh, relationship pressure, and then efficiency pressure. And actually, Rosa and I talk about both in this conversation. I, I think you'll really find this uh, to be, this is a pretty good way to spend a half hour. I'm so glad you're here, though. I mean, it's, it's, it's great to have you. And um, I hope that things are going marvelous for you. Some interesting stuff on the horizon a lot of pressure to do some deeper dive into accident investigations. Um, and so maybe that's something we need to talk about more. Uh, 
I think that's a valuable topic. What I think it is, is really good low-hanging fruit. You can change your organization pretty quickly by changing the way they learn and do investigations. And that's powerful. And it's funny, Rosa talks about that as well. So that's all included in this podcast. I think you're going to find this to be a good use of a half hour. You see what you think, and let's talk more at the end. Until then, this is my friend Rosa Carrillo, and she's going to talk to us about safety, the world, where she came from, where she's going, and the importance of relationship building for leaders. Sit back and enjoy. enjoy relax. Have fun. Well, I talked about it in my presentation today. I just decided to throw away my notes and I because the speaker before me, Tony Watkins, was just so eloquent about team dynamics and leadership and you know, why it's so important for leaders to create an environment of psychological safety and get people to talk. And then I thought to myself, you know, what's at the bottom of this? What's underneath all of that? What are we really talking about? We're talking about individuals, human beings. The human drive to belong, to be included, to be one of the guys in my own personal journey, which was has been was complete exclusion from birth, because I was born into a very poor. You know, we had dirt floors, no electricity, no running water. A woman of color. My mom was a cleaning houses, and she got the idea that one day that she was going to get us all over to the states so that we could have a better life, which. We did, in a way, because we went to better schools. I ended up going to UCLA, University of Great Prestige, and it would have never happened if we hadn't crossed over the line. But it was sheer uh, hell. Yeah. It was sheer hell because of the racial discrimination and the racial prejudice that I had to go through all through high school. And then even when going to UCLA, it was still a predominantly white school. Wow. With a few um, scholarship students like me. And, but really, that, is, that was the basis by which I began to do my research and why I gravitated so much for, to the notion of organizational culture. Because when Ed Shine explained to me about assumptions and beliefs and how that drives who people pay attention to, who they include, I was like, Oh, my God, that explains my whole life to me. Yeah. I'm an outsider. Yeah. I have been an outsider my whole life until now. I'm no longer an outsider. So I like to tell the story of how I went from exclusion to inclusion. And it was all about in my own personal transformation. It had nothing to do with anybody outside of me changing. That's quite brilliant, actually. That's compelling and rich and profound and important. What led you into safety? Because there has to be a twist somewhere in the story that got you onto that side of the equation. Well, there is because I was working in an organization where we developed, uh, well, you have to realize my first career was I was a kindergarten teacher. (laughs) So I love teaching, uh, you know, I love teaching the basics, okay, and because I didn't learn to read until I was 10. So I had this mission in life that Mm -hmm. I was going to help people who were behind on their education. I was going to help them catch up. But I realized pretty early on that that was not my bent because I don't like to do the same thing every day. I don't like to do the same thing over and over again. And when you're teaching reading or or basic skills, 
takes a lot of patience. God bless people who do it day after day after day because you have to do the same thing over and over again. And I do love to teach, but I wanted to do something uh, bigger. I wanted to do something where I would go do, to different places, do different things. So I joined an organization was, that was designing safety incentive programs. Oh, really? Yes. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Because I was really good at motivation. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I had a lot of fun designing these, these motivational programs. And I was working for ExxonMobil where they had this program where we were giving away tr- trucks to uh, the plants that didn't have any recordables. Wow. And one day the employee said to me, Rosa, this is such BS because last year the guy who got the truck had a serious accident like two days later, and everybody knew he would because he'd been breaking the rules the whole time. So this business of, you know, no, earning, you know, winning a truck because you have no recordables has nothing to do with safety. It, it's almost like you buy reduced recordables by giving away a truck. You're, you're paying people not to report, right? Well, it's so I, surprising that you would come out of that background. Maybe it's not surprising, but it's an interesting place for you to come from. But that's from. where everybody was. Yeah, no, Don't you're right. I'm pretty old. You're, 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 I'm guessing you're about 31. <laughs> Let's go with that. It's, okay, a, pod, we'll go with it's that. a podcast. We both are just babies. Right, right, right. right. No, that's where everybody was back then. Uh, let's let's incentivize people not to have re- recordables, and we didn't realize that we were getting people to not report. Sure. Through those actions, we were, we were so naive, and, don't, and the behaviorists were like at full force. Oh yeah, with both barrels. I mean, they were they were coming down with a lot of pseudo empirical discussions and making crap up and yeah yeah no it's it was a strong force and it was appealing because it made the uncertain certain you could manage behavior i mean in the midst of all that chernobyl happens yeah so tell me more and then the studies come out about safety culture which was also part of a larger movement dealing with corporate culture. So really, always safety culture was a subset of corporate culture, even back from the beginning. When did you find Edgar Schein? When did I find him? Uh, 1990. On Organizational Culture, his first book? That, yes, yeah, that exactly. Kind of the, the he seminal was a professor work. at my, where I was getting my master's in organizational effectiveness. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was, a, he was adjunct faculty because I didn't go to MIT. But I was at Pepperdine, and he loved going to Pepperdine because he just loved interacting with the students. And he's the one, I mean, literally, he opened my eyes to the world and my whole experience, why I was experiencing the the kind of rejection that I was experiencing in the corporate world. And what then, so so how did that set the course for your life's work and eventually the book? But but how did that start setting that course? What, What started coming together? Oh, my gosh, Todd. This is something I haven't talked about before, but one of the things that happened in the midst of all of that was that the organization I was doing the um, rewards programs for was also a commune. Really? Yes. And we, Whoa. We, this this we, story just gets better. We took in people with drug and alcohol um, addiction. I never had a drug or alcohol addiction, but I was there to forward the movement and to help people. And the way we raised money was through these um, uh, pre- premium uh, award programs. Well, it just so happened that the leader of that particular uh, organization became a cult leader. 
and destroyed the whole. Wow. Thing. Yeah. What a stupid man. You have the best story ever. <laughs> so there I am. And then I meet Ed Shine and he's telling me about, like I said, Ed, I, I, I don't understand it. How did I fall for this cult leader? How could I be so stupid? And he explained it all to me about how uh, uh, people, you know, you come in and you start buying into the leader's beliefs and assumptions, and it's incremental. It's incremental commitment. He said, and that's what happens in organizations. It's incremental commitment. Now, if you're lucky, you're committing to a positive leader. If you're unlucky, you're committing to a negative influence. Wow. But the, but the dynamic exists everywhere. Wow, that's amazing. Isn't it? And so then you started working with leadership, with culture, with organizations, with leadership, and all of this around safety. Tell me that part of the story. Okay, so then I left that commune, and I went into um, uh, my ex-husband and I started a business, and we called it Culture Change Consultants, which Ed got a good laugh out of that because he said, oh, my God, you can't change culture. There's no such thing as safety culture. Yeah, and he's <laughs> right. manage it. And he's uh, right. Everything's right. I, I said, well, I don't, I don't care what you're, you say, Ed. I, I want to make money. Yeah, <laughs> right exactly. now it's hot. <laughs> Culture change is hot, so that's where I'm going. And I, and I did. I did that for maybe 20 years. Uh, we became very popular, very famous uh, as the culture change consultants. But there came a time when I just got fed up with it. I said, really, uh, leaders don't understand what culture is. Culture, the, the concepts of culture don't really help you. The way we were using it, the concept of safety culture, don't really guide you to make the kinds of changes in your organization that you need to make in order to achieve the next level of performance because it's really about your relationships with the people uh, and how you're you're including them in the decision-making process, how you're relating to them, are you listening to them. Uh, and, and to me, that's more um, the social network mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. social interaction. Yeah, it, relational, right? Yeah, I mean, relational. Yeah. And so when I when I went into that, then Ed Shine said, "Oh, well, you just have to be right in alignment with my new book, which is um, a humble leadership." And he came up with that whole personalization level one, two, three. And I said, "Well, I said you're good at at making these concepts up that that very linear people and leaders can accept." I said, "I'm more of a um, I'm, I'm more at the emotional route, which is that almost everybody in the organization feels." disrespected, not listened to, and excluded. And until we start to change that, the performance is not going to change. It's so interesting because the theme of exclusion is coming up again and again and again. And I can see in the book where the book is really a remedy for. Remedy, maybe not the best word. It's a discussion about the potential pitfalls of exclusion. Oh, they're not potential. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> they're real. I'm, I'm, I'm trying so carefully to craft the language, but you're yes. exactly right there. They're not. They, they are they are pitfalls. It is very real because no matter how powerful you are or how educated you are, you are susceptible to the same needs, psychological needs, which is a need for belonging and inclusion. Right. You just have different circles, right? Right. If you're a really rich, powerful CEO, you have to keep your board happy. Right. And they're they're hungry. They're They're needy. And I, and I think it's so interesting that we have traditionally excluded the outliers in safety and really deemed them 
you know, at-risk behavior. I mean, we've got a lot of words to create exclusionary outcomes and safety that we've dealt with for a while. I mean, that's a part of it. Is that what motivated you to, to write this book? Yes, yes, because I've always been an outlier. I've never felt I belong. I've always felt excluded. I felt that I had to struggle for, it's like you're climbing Mount Everest, right? You have to struggle for every little step and every little piece of land uh, to gain credibility, to have people listen to you. And then everybody experiences this. Wait a minute, I said that 10 years ago. Why is so-and-so getting the big bucks now for saying exactly the same thing? Yeah, and that's a part of it. I, what were you, when you crafted the book, and I know that you've been working your whole life on the book, so yes. I'm not going to even pretend to assume you sat down one afternoon and wrote it. That's not true. But the language and the, the attitude you write in is really comfortable. It's actually, it's a, you can, it's, anybody can grasp it. It's attainable. But I also found it pretty funny, pretty kind of pithy, kind of, I don't, I don't know if the word kind of very real and it deals with really leadership and this notion of relationship and that networking in a really, in a very real way. I like it a lot. What caused you to voice your book in that voice? Years of experience uh, trying to sideline the objections and rejections. It's a very carefully worded book, very carefully, because in my mind I was always hearing the yeah buts. So I, I, don't, I didn't want to confront because I think confrontation, well, some people do well with the confrontation, but in my experience I have not done well with that. Like when I tried to confront the behaviorist, that was that was very personally painful to me. So mm-hmm. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just identify and be empathetic to the different um, experiences and the different levels of resistance because resistance is really fear. Right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the high road. I'm going to be empathetic, and I'm going to say, hey, I understand. These are – this is the situation. This is what we're facing. I'm like you. You and I are very much alike, but here's my experience, and here's what I have found works and doesn't work. And then that sort of overarching inclusion message, right, that's really – I think that's part of what resonated with me so much and part of what I'm really seeing resonating with the people that I'm talking to is that it really – it doesn't see something – leadership is not directed towards the worker. That's exclusionary. Leadership is a part of the relationship we have with Yes. each other yes and i i think that's really um well it matches where where shine is i mean my favorite thing on earth is i never know how to say this Rosa. um really good academics at the end of their career kind of point to what matters and a lot of the crippy crap just goes away you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, Ned Hall, the father of nonverbal communication, was my neighbor in Santa Fe. And at the end of his life, and he lived to be, gosh, like 99. Towards the end of his life, he, he really boiled all his study of intercultural differences down to one thing, make a friend. He, I remember sitting with him in Santa Fe and him saying, if you want to understand someone become a friend with them, build that relationship. And his whole life's work kind of went to that place. And he was, that's amazing. He was perfectly happy with, with that outcome. 
for his his life's work. Yeah, I, I that's actually basically what I'm saying, and I, I, I realize that because it's get to know the person, yeah. stand in their shoes for a bit, and let them know that you, you you see them, you understand them, and if there's any way that you can help them, you will. So I've been sharing that because I've done a lot of individual conversations with uh, some of the HSC leaders who are very frustrated. How right. do I go get change the culture? And I'm going, no, you're not going to change the culture. That's not your role. You don't have the power to do that. But you can make friends. And those friends become really important. That becomes a, a big part of what we think about. And it's interesting because that's right where Shine is. I mean, Shine's yes. in the same place. Is is the professional relationships that we've espoused that professional distance between you and I has probably caused more harm than good. So, so why should people read the book? It's a hard question, but you need to be asked that question. If you've not been asked it yet, it's no, a really good time to ask it. the first time that, that I've been asked that question. I, I sincerely believe that you should read the book because it has really explicit instructions as to how to build these relationships. And in my experience, because I didn't make these up, these came from a result of a lot of individual interviews and experiences that I've had over the year, plus a lot of research that I've done. And so they work. And if you want to take a shortcut and make progress in your career, then you should take it to heart. You should read yeah. what's in there. That's a brilliant – I mean, it gets no better. I mean, that's the perfect reason to read a book. So what's ahead for you? What, what's interesting you now? What are you, what are you thinking about now? What are you doing now? Well, I mean, I know what you're doing yeah, now. We're yeah. in Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah, right. We're having a good time. Yes, we know where. Yes, yes, we know where we are now. But what, what's what's ahead? Well, I, I kind of find the idea attractive of just doing keynotes because I'm so I'm exhausted from all of the intense interpersonal work. I I, I tend to take it home with me mm-hmm. when people um, feel rejected or dejected or you know things just fall apart like. I won't mention a company name, but we just did a lot of work to put together a whole approach based on the relationship um, factor. And then everybody at the top was let go because they wanted to get rid of all the high-salaried people. And this is just constant. I mean, it's just always happening uh, because uh, the board of directors sets the direction. Right. And we have no – I have no influence on the board of directors. Yeah. And it seems like churn, at least in my world as well, churn seems really high right now. There's a lot of uncertainty politically. There's a lot of uncertainty globally. And there's just a lot going on. And it's funny because the premise of your book and a strong belief system for me is that we build relationships. But we're living in a world that's actually sort of asking us not to. It's it's telling us to... Well, to to avoid pain, don't don't build relationships. But, of course, that... It's the worst thing you can do. Well, it's stupid. Because it makes I mean, life meaningless. Yeah, I'll just tell you, it's stupid. And it's probably more painful. So. Yeah. I can't tell you how much fun it was to talk to you. Thank you for taking this time. It's really fun. What do you think? Wasn't it a great conversation? It's uh, it's fun to get to spend time and just talk and, and have people talk about their journey and what they're thinking and what's going on. I, I really enjoyed it. But... I've always really enjoyed Rosa anyway, and I love what she's doing. I, I like where she is on this journey, and she's parlayed it into a topic area that's it's, it's highly specialized, but it's highly important. You can tell I'm a little smitten with her, I'm sure, throughout the entire uh, discussion. That's an okay thing to do. I don't, I don't feel guilty. 
you're going to be smitten. You might as well be smitten with people who got good things to say. That's my theory. So that is the podcast for today. What'd you think? Pretty nice little uh, way to spend some time. And I think there's really good learnings we can pull out of there. The big one is, you know, focus, maintain, build relationships. That's what you do. Build relationships. Become the person you want to hang out with. You got that going on. My theory is there's really only three types of people. There's people that are uh, amazing to be friends with and move you forward. There are people who um, help you grow and develop by being teachers and mentors. And then there's the third category. Those are the people who kind of suck the life out of you and you leave less fulfilled than when you started. And all of those people in your life should have names. In fact, if you can't name them, that last one might be you. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm joking, of course. Um, thanks for your time. Thanks for listening. Learn something new every single day. Have as much fun as you possibly can. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. Thanks, Sorosa. That was a great interview.